Hi, True Believers. This is Stan Lee, and I want to be sure to see you at my Los Angeles Super Comic Con on October 28th to 30th. And be sure to use code MELTDOWN for 12% off your tickets. Excelsior! Hello, this is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentials with Matt Kennedy, and we have another giveaway. So if you go to the Meltdown Comics website, which is meltcomics.com, and you uh, subscribe to their newsletter, you can be entered into a contest to win tickets for the Guillermo del Toro 35mm film screening program at LACMA. You've heard us talk about the At Home with Monsters show on the program, and this is the film program that goes with it. So if you go and find the screening that you want to see, whether it's the October 21st Chrono screening or the Pan's Labyrinth October 28th screening and then there's other uh, screenings of things like Bride of Frankenstein and the two Hellboy movies Pacific Rim, Crimson Peak and um, other amazing things that he's programmed Um, you just need to put a link to it on your Facebook page um, and take a screen grab and post it over with us on Pod Sequentialism as well and uh, see if we can't get you some awesome tickets Hello and welcome to Pod Sequentialism. I'm your host, Matt Kennedy. And, um, of course, we are brought to you by Meltdown Comics and Collectibles and La Luz de Jesus Gallery and the Pop Sequentialism Traveling Exhibition of Comic Book Art. And uh, I encourage you all to go to popsequentialism.com, that's P-O-P, and um, get yourself a signed copy of the book. They're starting to run out, but I still have a handful, and it's a good read. I've been told so. So um, my guest today is uh, Scott Bybin. Bybin. And um, Scott is, of course, uh, one of the booking agents at Evil Twin Booking who handle acts like Pussy Riot. Yes. And um, Glenn Greenwald and the Yes Men. Yes. And um, you're also part of the Groucho Fractal um, performance thing. Thing. Yes. I won't call it a band, I, I, you know. It's but a um, Band with no instruments. Yes. But the... Um, and I could probably do a whole show on just what it's like running Evil Twin Booking because with acts like Pussy Riot and Glenn Greenwald and the Yes Men, you could probably fill five hours of, of great content. But I'm having Scott on today because I've, after talking to him this uh, this year at the Politicon um, convention out in Pasadena, um, we started talking about cryptocurrencies. Yes. And I'm fascinated with cryptocurrencies, but I'm I'm still not entirely sure I understand how they work, and I figured that the best person to have to come on the show and talk about this would be you. Well, thank you so much. Yes, yes. So, um, and you mentioned something just the other day about um, a, a new cryptocurrency that you had told me about at that convention, which I think was, was going for 69 cents a piece at the time, and it's now $18. Oh, $14 or 13 Roughly, yeah, but it's gone up considerably. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about that for a minute, it, just from an investment point of view, if you were to buy a stock um, for $0.69 cents and it were to shoot up to $12, $13, $14, um, it, it could be life-changing depending upon the size of your initial investment. And um, we've obviously, if people have been paying attention to Bitcoin and, and the amazing journey that Bitcoin had and has had and is having, um, there are people that were buying bitcoins for less than a dollar, and at one point it was nine hundred dollars or more per bitcoin. Now, what's bitcoin at now? It's a little bit more than six hundred, which is still incredible. Yeah. Um, at, we're taping here at Meltdown Comics and Collectibles, and there's actually a, a bitcoin um, machine 
I guess you'd call it, like an ATM, a Bitcoin ATM here, uh, which is in and of itself rather amazing. And another reason why I thought it would be great to do a show on this. Um, I've tried to explain a little bit myself to um, like people who've who've struck up conversations about this. And I realized I just, I kind of know how it works the way I kind of know how electricity works. But it's a lot easier for me to flick on a switch and know that a light goes on. Um, And it seems like a lot of people are less informed about how cryptocurrencies work. So start from the beginning, like give me a little quick history of of cryptocurrencies. Well, one of these days, cryptocurrencies are going to be as easy to use as flicking a switch. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just because it's a relatively new technology that people are trying to figure out exactly how to dig in and work with them. Um, So the history of cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin is part of a guess a family of cryptocurrencies that came out of the early cypherpunk conversations that were on uh, you know on the early internet mm-hmm. and um, the purpose was of crypt of like uh, early Al Gore internet or like Windows 95 internet well uh, in the early 90s there were all these different uh, listservs uh, where people would talk about uh, cryptography and mm-hmm. uh, privacy, security, and whatnot, and those con- those conversations have continued over the years. And one of the conversations that existed during that time, like in the '90s, was you know how is uh, how is it going to be possible to transmit uh, currency mm-hmm. over the internet? Uh, how do you um, exchange value? And this is you know pre PayPal. You know, this is a uh, this is during the time when, you know, if uh, if you told your mom that you were going to send your credit card number over the internet, um, she would freak out. Right. Yeah. I actually got burned on a laserdisc deal through a Usenet um, alt movies laserdisc forum of a Dutch trader mm-hmm. for um, a copy of an, the uncut Lucio Fulci's The Beyond and had to get a money order. And, and sent it through the through mail, and so it did get burned and would have loved to have had access to a, a higher trust system that cryptocurrency promises. And that's about that time. That's, bad. that's before 98, so it's probably like 96, 97. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Um, but it, at the same time, I guess you have your, you have your receipt, which means close to nothing. Yeah, <laughs> and, and by close, it means exactly nothing, yes. yes. Okay, so... Um, Okay, so Bitcoin basically uh, answered a lot of questions about how to have transactions between two people that don't know each other, or any number of parties who don't really know each other, but how can they trust that a certain transaction um, occurred? Mm -hmm. For example, um, with Bitcoin, you can take a look at a ledger called the blockchain and see that a transaction occurred or not. When I say transaction, I mean whether uh, coins were sent to a particular account or sent from a particular account. Uh, At the core of Bitcoin is a technology called the blockchain. And that is a very fancy name for a distributed ledger. Mm-hmm. And when I say a ledger, I mean something like, you know, just like a database. Like think of like an Excel database. And in this database uh, or ledger, you have 
some information in there, you know, whether um, wh what type of transaction it is that's occurring. Um, are you sending coins? Are you receiving coins? Are these coins that have been, quote unquote, mined? Mm -hmm. uh, or, which is a fancy way for saying that been created using uh, some fancy uh, math uh, solving algorithm problem, which becomes kind of the cachet that people have agreed upon yeah. as value because there's a certain is only a certain amount. Well, the well, okay. So let me start from the beginning. Okay, <laughs> let's explain okay. the economy. I'll, let's I'll explain, explain electronic economy. economy. Okay, okay. <clears throat> so people talk a lot about mining, and sometimes it's like very confusing as to what that means. Uh, what that means is that you're basically taking a computer and using the processor on that computer in order to guess at a bunch of junk math problems. Mm -hmm. The reward for guessing correctly is uh, there are you know coins. You're issued X number of coins, and there are certain factors that go into mining. For example, how long you spend. Uh, how long you, you spend actually throwing your processor into it, mm -hmm. um, the amount of uh, hashing pow power uh, or how many problems can be solved. Uh, and, uh, and there are a few other factors, and all these things go into shaping the next set of problems. Now, with Bitcoin, there's no central server. There's no one place all of the transactions actually happen distributed across the entire network. So you want to kind of think of Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency as a small kind of limited function supercomputer. Mm -hmm. So the um, so there's no one place. It's not like you're sending a request to a server. It functions more in the same way that a torrent system works. Right, right. So... Um like back in the Napster days, you would be dedicating a certain amount of space on your computer that would be containing um, a portion of the overall complete library of music, so not necessarily your own. If you pulled that off, then it would be maybe some of your own, but um, that you were contributing to the system by allowing a certain amount of your computer to be occupied for that. SETI, yes. I think, did that too, um, where you could install a SETI program yes. to keep their costs down to keep searching for intelligent life elsewhere. Right. SETI okay. would search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Yes. Yes. So that was a very early system in which people would share the processing power and the memory on their computers. Mm -hmm. um, usually when people were asleep, uh, you know, their computers would keep running. Another interesting project is a, a, a electric sheep. Uh, this uh, kind of a, a screensaver pro project that uh, this guy Scott Draves put together. Mm -hmm. um, so um, yeah, so there are a lot of different applications for distributed computing, and Bitcoin is one of them. So everybody has a record of every single transaction that occurred on this blockchain. Mm -hmm. So uh, you're able to look at a code, a long string of numbers and letters together um, to see whether a transaction had been sent or received or whether coins had been mined or you know minted, so to say. Mm -hmm. um, 
and everybody's computer can store a copy of this blockchain. Currently, the blockchain, I think, is up to close to like 50 gigs. Mm -hmm. It's it's huge uh, and takes a really long time, or at least the Bitcoin blockchain is is that large. Yeah, I remember um, seeing a, a documentary about in the early days of Bitcoin, mm -hmm. um, people buying extra equipment in order to mine at home before the large Chinese farms got involved in in Bitcoining, Bitcoin mining. Yeah, so very early on, you could actually mine Bitcoin with your CPU, mm -hmm. your central processing unit. And later, as it became more difficult, people started to use their GPU, their mm -hmm. graphics processing unit on their computer. And after a while, it became close to impossible to do that. You couldn't really get any reward in exchange for the electricity or time that you're putting into it. So a new type of piece of a uh, new piece of mining hardware came out called an ASIC, mm -hmm. which is a application specific uh, integrated circuit, I believe, mm -hmm. ASIC. Um, and its sole function is basically just to mine bitcoins. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, at this point, the difficulty level is great because people set up uh, mining farms in Iceland and in China places where electricity is considerably cheaper and they could just throw all this processing power into gathering uh, coins. Mm -hmm. uh, now there's there's a set limit to how many coins were to be produced at Bitcoin, right? So just like any other world mm -hmm. economy which might be based upon a gold standard or a petroleum standard ostensibly, that um, the value is determined by the amount of this one thing. And in, in the case of Bitcoin, it's the total number of coins that will be available. And right. so by having access to these coins, you are guaranteed a value based on the initially perceived value of this finite amount of things. And like any commodity over time, the value of it changes. So gold prices rise and drop depending upon the, the currency that you compare it to. and Bitcoins do as well, um, based on, I guess, the perception of the safety of, of the Bitcoin, because a couple years ago there was a major heist in, in the Bitcoin um, algorithm, storage. Well, I mean, there have been a lot of different uh, heists, and I guess we can go through that mm -hmm. like during the talk. Um, one of the... Uh, one of the ways in which Bitcoin maintains or increases its value is actually on exchanges. Mm -hmm. So there are a whole series of different cryptocurrency exchanges, one of which is called Poloniex, mm -hmm. another one's called Bittrex, another one is BTC38. There are a bunch of different ones. And depending on the demand for, uh, for Bitcoin or any cryptocurrencies, the price is... Uh, fluctuate mm -hmm. pretty significantly. So you can go onto one of these exchanges and uh, some of them even accept national currencies like US dollars, euros, uh, yuan, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And you can buy Bitcoin that way or you can buy other cryptocurrencies and then trade them. Now, is there a, a basic standard across all Bitcoin exchanges that the prices are regulated 
identically or is it like any currency exchange you know that you go to that day by day it's going to change which i guess that would change anyways but that different exchanges you can go to the airport and there can be an exchange to the left of you and exchange to the right of you and have completely different um exchange rates are bitcoins um i guess are they monitored or um is there any kind of collusion between um bitcoin um exchanges or is it just kind of you know because i imagine that they're charging for a transaction well there there's the transaction is usually uh charged for as when people uh with make a withdrawal mm-hmm. uh from the exchanges the um the prices for bitcoins and other cryptocurrencies like ethereum and whatever uh they fluctuate pretty greatly mm-hmm. so you might pay x amount on one and uh, y amount on another mm-hmm. like it you know and it can um it can vary widely so the prices of cryptocurrencies really are determined by the um, by the exchanges or the behavior of what's going on in the different exchanges. And the prices can be different on different exchanges as well. Mm-hmm. You know? So I guess for in for the novice investor, mm-hmm. and I think um, one thing that has made um, Bitcoin a bit of a mystery for people, um, aside from the fact that the value of the Bitcoin is based on something, um, I mean... All currencies are a construct, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to yeah. completely, um, you know, cop to that. That that every single um, type of right. currency is a complete construct. And um, well, the, when you say construct, do you mean it's based on such a? It's based on value made up of nothing. You know, it's like someone decided that gold is worth something, and if right. you have a gold standard, then your currency is worth something that relates in right. a roundabout way to gold. Um, you know, in the you know, British sterling and the pound, um, you know, silver mining and the crown jewels. Um, different countries' currencies are based these days on their economies more so than the economy being made of their currency. So when a country like Greece um, joins the EU and they have to change their their central bank and their um, their currency the drachma or Mm -hmm. um, into the euro, it's going to be different than a country like Germany turning their Deutschmarks into the euro because their economies are so drastically different. And so the the country's economies will behave differently based on joining into even one single currency. So um, without there being a high um, export and consumer class for Greek goods, their cost of life and quality of life is going to be very different than in Germany mm-hmm. where there is a high consumer class and a large degree of exports. So that model being as it is, and I think what if people understand anything about how economy works and, and how currencies work, they can look at something and say, okay, well, at some point the banks of the world have agreed that you know, this criteria affects the value of each and every country's currency against each other based on their GDP and the um, the ability to exploit goods within their borders and, and how much of the things created in their country are being sent outward. Mm-hmm. So um, when you look at a country like um, Zimbabwe, 
where a $300 trillion bill is worth about $90 in U.S. dollars. Right. Um, and you're talking about like in, in incredible inflation, like mega inflation. Um, but with cryptocurrency, what I think people have a problem understanding is number one, how do they get the currency? How do they withdraw the currency? And how do they initiate trades in a way that impacts their lives? I think for most people, if you can't go to the supermarket and buy a loaf of bread and a gallon of milk, um, not to um, not to belabor a point against anybody who has a gluten allergy or a dairy allergy, but that um, if it if they can't have the things that they view as basic necessities as they can with cash in pocket, then to them it's less of a real economy. And of course, we have seen some shops, some corner grocery stores um, accepting Bitcoin yeah, and not accepting credit cards because of the high rate of charge involved in using credit cards. And I think that why businesses started to kind of get on Bitcoin is because the exchange rate is a, it's a plus or minus zero. There is a cost to it, but it is so much less of a cost than, than dealing with credit card companies and interest rates, PayPal, any of that stuff. So um, I think what would be really helpful for, for my audience and myself included among that mm-hmm. is what do you think is the fear that the common person has against just getting involved in cryptocurrencies? And what can you tell us that would quell that fear? That would say, well, I understand that this can be a concern to you, but the reason why you know why you do it, why Scott is is so involved in cryptocurrency, aside from the kind of you know the freedom of being able to conduct a transaction with anybody in the world without a kind of big brother peering down your shoulder, um, and therefore the the inability for um, agencies with no business to be snooping into people's private lives doing so. So aside from that, what is the benefit to John and Susie Q citizen using Bitcoin as opposed to the US dollar? Well, currently one of the one of the advantages is that the percentage that comes out of it uh, when you make a transaction is minuscule mm-hmm. as compared to a credit card transaction. So when you're sending and receiving a uh, Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency. It's so small that, you know, vendors really benefit from it in a huge way so that they don't have to, you know, pay for like a, you know, a huge transaction fee. Mm-hmm. It, it's a good way of uh, avoiding PayPal, which can be ridiculous in terms of its percentages as well. And of course, it's, in a, in a, know, in a much larger way, it's a way for people to avoid paying tax well, because it doesn't really appear on on your ledger in the same way, or is that incorrect? Well, on your wallet, it doesn't appear. However, if you are realizing cryptocurrencies into national currencies on an exchange, for for example, uh, you actually are responsible for capital gains tax mm-hmm. on those things. Um, I mean, you, people do use cryptocurrencies and avoid taxation. They just have direct contact with one another like, you know, hey, send me some Bitcoins, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they don't report it. Um, that is definitely a way that people use it. And then there's an entirely other part of Bitcoin that 
is uh, fully involved in the business and uh, financial instrument world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a lot of um, innovation on both ends of that. Like one is, you know, kind of in keeping things in the, you know, the kind of like the privacy uh, realm. Uh, you know, like people who do work in darknet markets and, uh, you know, just like direct transactions. And then no, you have- Probably the first time a lot of people heard of Bitcoin was following the arrest of- Ross Ulbricht. Yeah. You know, right. who's, who's darknet. Um, what was his, his site was- um, Well, he, uh, he did the, um, I'm spacing on the name- uh, Huge he was, the, he was the yeah he was he was uh, the dread pirate Roberts from yeah. although he claims the, he wasn't well he claims that he you know that anybody could be the dread pirate Roberts yeah. like, according to um, the Princess Bride yes um, but uh, and became part of his defense a little bit when uh, when that went to court but uh, the reason I, I, I raise this is because yeah. um, certainly the biggest market for use of Bitcoin maybe even still was for dark web purchasing. I don't think that's the case anymore. Not anymore? Has it kind of transitioned over into uh, more everyday use? Yeah. Um, the thing is that Bitcoin isn't really as secure and as private as people assume that it was mm-hmm. um, because uh, there are multiple abstract ways in which um, transactions can be tracked, mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, time-stamped, so to say. Uh, and, you know, there's an entire you know, kind of like a realm of you know of like white hat hacker out there who are trying to uh you know like piece together trans transaction times to figure out who has yeah. what yeah and uh law enforcement try to do that because you know of course law enforcement want to you know steal all the bitcoins as well yeah <laughs> right <laughs> so now so, the um well, that raises a good point though too because you know Bitcoin is just one of many cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. And so when you talk about the, again, like from, from an investor's point of view, like I can look at a company and I can say, okay, well, I'm looking at their numbers and this is the product that they, that they make and here's where their stock is assessed. Mm-hmm. And I can decide to invest in that because I feel like they're being undervalued comparative to what the value of the product they produce and the value of their stock. And in currency um, trading, you look at a country's economy and you figure out what the value is against the standard that you're using. So if you're an American investor, you may look at the economy of a country like um, Peru and say, oh, you know, I think that their currency is currently undervalued. I'm going to invest heavy in um, you know, the Peruvian peso or whatever. Or um, you're gonna you look at an economy in China and say, well, the RMB seems very undervalued right now. I'm gonna pick up a bunch of RMB, and um, or the yen market, or the pound, or or the euro. And of course, right now, anybody in a post-Brexit world, um, good time to visit Europe. You know, it's relatively yeah. inexpensive. Well, it's a good um, time to visit England, and a good time to visit England as well. Not necessarily the rest of Europe. Yeah. Well, I mean, but the you know, the euro took a huge hit from Brexit too, and they continue yeah. to. They haven't really bounced. They had an initial bounce back, and it's it's not really a, a great bounce back. So it's it's actually now a buyer's market for people who want to buy European goods and services with the American dollar and with That's the true. Japanese yen. But um, so if you're to look at other cryptocurrencies, what's the model that you look at 
to say, you know, this looks like a good investment as opposed to, well, yeah, I could buy a thousand of anything and this is only five cents. So if I buy a thousand of these, it's, it's hardly any money. Um, that's a blind investment. Is there any kind of, um, you know, educated yeah. guessing that can go on? So one of the one of the best ways to, I guess, get an idea of what the values are, you should look at a list of uh, coin market capitalizations. Mm -hmm. And one of those places is a thing called Baxter List, B-A-X-T-E-R List dot com. And you can see the entire spread of cryptocurrencies that are on there, like everything from Bitcoin to Ethereum to Monero and Dash, whatever. And it it will show you the amount of... uh, the amount that it's currently going for on average within a certain period of time on uh, an exchange, like you can see it in U.S. dollars, you can see it in a few other currencies as well. Um, you can see the entire uh, market capitalization. That means the amount of coins times the um, times the uh, value, mm-hmm. the current value. Um, you can also see the 24-hour trading volume and a few other trading volumes as well. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good way of kind of seeing it. You, you kind of want to look at it on a regular basis and see how things go up and down. Also, a, a way of kind of understanding what's going to happen with cryptocurrencies, it's kind of, you, you, there are certain patterns. Uh, for example, on weekends, there tends to be a lot of trading volume. Mm-hmm. People are kind of going back and forth, like trading. Uh, um, uh, my guess is that there are probably a lot of students and a lot of people doing it in their spare time. That's why it's you know mostly on the weekends that things kind of pick up a lot. A, a lot. And you mentioned something that um, that one of the things that affected the value of Bitcoin was the amount of transactions. That if there are more transactions, the bit Bitcoin becomes more valuable. Well, not necessarily. The mm-hmm. more transactions that there are just means that there's higher volume. But the thing is, it's it's just a, the amount of trading that's going on. What that does is it gives you some type of indication as to how much faith there is in it. Mm-hmm. Um, a high amount of volume could mean you know somebody selling off a lot as well as buying a lot. Um, so, so when Carl Icahn poured $10 million or $100 million into the Bitcoin um, markets, that was what drove Bitcoin up to $900. No. 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 Um, well, some of the things that happened to raise the value of Bitcoin were like uh, when the economy of Cyprus was um, in the process of collapsing and the banks were closing, uh, people couldn't withdraw money from their ATMs. However, they could buy Bitcoins. So uh, so someone in the Bitcoin the market was accepting whatever Cyprus's currency was. The euro. So Cyprus is on the euro. Yeah. But, 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 but they got locked out of being able to use their own banking system. Yeah. That uh, it just became more, more difficult. And also there were a lot of, you know, places, like a lot of people who were selling uh, Bitcoins, um, just, you know, people who were kind of hanging out in Cyprus um, because it happened to also be a um, big banking hub you know, for, for Russian oligarchs, Russian, Russian oligarchs narcotics, the Russian mafia, money. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, there's the that kind of like gray area. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time there's been some type of uh, collapse of government or an economy, 
um, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies tend to do really, really well and demand goes up. Mm -hmm. So um, what was the, some of the other kind of big name currencies, Ethereum is I think the currency we were discussing yeah. at um, Politicon and um, Monero, Monero I've seen mentioned quite a bit in um, recent documentaries, news programs and that type of thing. Yeah. What's the value of Monero now? Um, last time I checked, it was somewhere around ten or eleven dollars. So it's still pretty low, and comparative to say Bitcoin and Ethereum at say fourteen. Right. So, what did they start at? What was like the the initial um, value accrued to a Monero or an Ethereum? Well, Ethereum was originally sold as part of a crowdfund, where you could get two thousand ethers. Um, uh, just you know, ether tokens, mm -hmm. uh, just for um, investing. So you get two thousand in exchange for a bitcoin, and I think a bitcoin at that time was either like three hundred seventy dollars or four hundred dollars. It was somewhere around around there. Mm -hmm. um, and when it launched, uh, it went all the way up to about six dollars, mm -hmm. I think, in the first day, and then it gradually went all the way down to, you know, it was like. I don't know, like 40 cents, 50 cents. And then it hung out around 69 cents for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people thought that the Ethereum project was going to fail and whatnot. Uh, you know, so people kind of just dumped a lot of their coins. Um, and then as people started to actually make use of some of the special features that are available in the Ethereum blockchain, um, there were actually more applications. Uh, that's when people started to buy a lot of uh, Ether. So this is where it becomes a little bit more, I mean, science fiction comparative no, to... it's science but it's, fact. But I mean, it is science fact, yeah. I mean, but the um, that when you think about... Most people think about currency, just think about this... You know, you spend money, whether it's paper or some kind of metal. And honestly, any coins can be made out of any metal. And the fact that we choose to make yeah. coins out of silver or gold is kind of this more and more everyday archaic notion of connecting it to something that's of supposed legitimate value rather than it being a symbol of something. Pennies are actually worth less face value than the copper that they're, or the zinc even that they're made out of at this point, that it costs about a cent and a half to make a penny. And there's every couple of years, someone's like, we should do away with pennies. And then people are like, no, we love pennies, even though we hate pennies. Um, yeah, but pennies are great for making batteries when you're in a pinch. You see, there you yeah, go. You can basically take, uh, take 11 pennies, mm -hmm. scratch off one side of it so that you have a zinc and copper together, take a piece of cardboard the size of a penny, mm -hmm. a little bit bigger than a penny, um, and uh, stack them together, wrap them with some electrical tape, pour some vinegar on them or a kombucha, if you have mm -hmm. some kombucha laying around, and you have a wire on one side and a wire on the other side. Who with extra and, kombucha needs a battery? I don't know. I'm kidding. I'm I, kidding. Yeah, I've actually made, um, I've actually made uh, power supplies for LED lights in a pinch doing that. Yeah. Well, I, and it's fun. of course, it's, it's a raw metal material that's made in a great little carrying form, you know, but it happens yeah. to be pressed. But the um, why I mention that is because with cryptocurrencies, you have all these other kind of cool things you can do with some of them. Right. Some, some of them have extra features. So, okay. Uh, Encode we'll a program go, into your, your number sequence. Well, well, let's go back a little bit. Can, let's talk about the blockchain. Sure. Okay. So 
Okay, the blockchain on Bitcoin is a very basic um, thing that just would, at one point, would just record the coins that were mined, the sent and received coins. Mm -hmm. And I think it was in 20, it was either 2010 or 2011, that two security researchers uh, named Travis Goodspeed and Dan Kaminsky uh, decided that they were going to, quote unquote, hack Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And what they did was they injected a packet of information uh, onto the Bitcoin. One of those transactions uh, was an image, an ASCII image of Ben Bernanke. <laughs> and the other one was an ASCII image of a security researcher um, who had passed away uh, right around then named Len Sassaman. These and, are Federal Reserve guys. Well, no, Len Sassaman was a, a hacker, like a, a very, okay. very well-respected security researcher, hacker, the guy from the InfoSec world. Mm -hmm. And Ben Bernanke is um, the, the person that most people who are using Bitcoin at that point absolutely despised because he was the chairman of the Fed. Yeah. So um, they, they thought they were being funny. And um, they also made this assumption that Bitcoin was going to go away. At this time, Bitcoin was worth, you know, it was like, you know, it was worth in the pennies and, uh, you know, well, it wasn't a lot of money mm -hmm. at all. And it didn't go away. Uh, what wound up happening is that people started thinking about things that could be applied on a blockchain, like a third party verification thing that could be, um, you know, like what, like what would basically obsolete a third-party verification uh, company? Mm -hmm. Well, what about recording a deed? What about recording votes? What about recording, um, you know, a domain name registration? Mm -hmm. Like any type of thing that just requires like a little bit of data. Um, you could record this and anyone could take a look at the blockchain and confirm that this particular transaction had happened. So it was a really interesting innovation. It's like a receipt and in a world that sort of didn't want receipts. It is a receipt. Well, yeah. it's no, well, I mean, uh, people definitely do want a receipt. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's the whole point of Bitcoin is that basically you have this blockchain that shows a receipt of every single transaction. You can track every single transaction that's ever happened on the entire history. You just can't track where it comes from it's it's coded behind a string of numbers and letters mm -hmm. um you, uh and there are any number of ways that you can kind of obfuscate your identity but you know uh when purchasing or sending or receiving them um but uh what i wanted to go on with was the, the next thing that happened where bitcoin actually became uh, like a bigger thing was mm -hmm. uh, Occupy Wall Street. Right. So uh, what was really interesting to watch is that there was this confluence of things happening, uh, one of which was that a lot of these security researchers uh, that were using Bitcoin, because it was just something in the kind of like hacker and cypherpunk community for a while. Um, some activists were using it, some libertarians and preppers and that, but it wasn't a huge thing. Um, so... There was a corner grocery, or just like a little bodega, right around the corner from Zuccotti Park. And, I remember seeing this in the news, yeah. And the, um, and you know, some of the uh, people who were at Zuccotti Park said, "Hey, you know, do you want to accept Bitcoin for coffee?" And the guys at the bodega were like, 
Yeah, sure. Because they were just giving away free coffee anyway. They're right. like, yeah, what's, you know, whatever, whatever a Bitcoin is, fine. Whatever you guys say, here, we'll do it. Yeah. And they wound up collecting tons and tons and tons of Bitcoins. They were obviously able to cash out a few years later. Yeah, for quite a bit of money, yeah. Yes, yeah, because it did actually reach all the way up to $1,200. At a certain point, yeah. Yeah. But um, This but, is right before the Japanese breach. Oh, you're talking about uh, Mt. Gox. Yeah. Okay, so um, up until a certain point, Mt. Gox was an exchange in which you could exchange uh, national currencies. I believe it was USD. Mm -hmm. uh for um, for Bitcoin, I, I think you could exchange other things too, uh, and um, what wound up happening is that there was either a a hack where the where the Bitcoin wallet was was depleted, or the person who ran the company like had all the Bitcoin stolen. Who, who knows what what really happened? Um, but uh, the Bitcoins disappeared and. So like people were like, oh no, Bitcoin's been hacked. Um, whereas really, it's not like Bitcoin was hacked. It's that um, it's like saying that uh, like when people would say, oh, Bitcoin's collapsed. It's it's going away. Um, a, a, a currency does not go away if a bank gets robbed. Right. That's all that really right, happened. Right. You know, I, was there like, was this idea yeah. among people who didn't quite understand how the currency worked that that wasn't possible. But of course, just like anything can get hacked, it might have gotten hacked or it might have been an inside job. But most things are an inside job. Right. But but the coins did disappear off of the kind of the ledger, right? Off of the. Um, no, nothing disappears off the ledger. Everything, like the ledger has a record of every single. Um, coin that's on it. It's different than national currencies in that, uh, you know, you keep like national currencies and keep on minting them. And, you know, the U.S. has no idea. The Treasury has no idea how many uh, how many dollars are out there. They have mm -hmm. some idea I mean, because the thing is there are tons of counterfeits. Right. Um, you can't have counterfeits come into a Bitcoin market. Like they just won't be recognized in the network. So what was it that disappeared? Was it the national currency that got pulled out or? Of what? Of the? Of the um, Mt. Gox. Oh, Mt. Gox. No, um, the Bitcoins were stolen. So, but there would have, that exchange would have gone somewhere, right? Like they would have seen that there was. Um... Well, no, the, okay. So when I say it's an exchange, like it, um, it's basically a place where you send them a, like, let's say you send them a dollar and they give you X number of Bitcoin, like right. 0. 0. 0. 0. 0.00001 Bitcoin or whatever right. it is. Um, so uh, that's what I mean by exchange. Mm -hmm. So the, um, so Mt. Gox had uh, Bitcoin wallets in which they were storing their Bitcoins. And of course they have bank accounts, um, which are, storing the national currencies. Mm -hmm. uh, what happened is that the Bitcoin wallets were being s slowly, or according to what they said, they were being slowly drained mm -hmm. of currency uh, to the value of millions of dollars, and that at a certain point they weren't able to function any longer. Mm. And so because of the nature of the withdrawal, it was harder to track. It was harder to track because it was... Um, it wasn't say thirty million no, bitcoins. It wasn't all at once. Disappear and then all of a sudden you see thirty five, you know, thirty billion bitcoins appear someplace else. No, and and it's harder to keep track of because 
um, you know, there were so many transactions happening all at once. And, uh, and also, a Bitcoin goes out to uh, eight decimal places, mm-hmm. uh, the smallest of which is uh, uh, Satoshi. So like, in the, you know, in the US dollar, we have a penny that's the smallest denomination. In the Bitcoin world, or the the family of cryptocurrencies that come out of Bitcoin, um, the uh, the point zero 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 one of a um, of a Bitcoin or any of those currencies is a Satoshi, named after the alleged creator of Bitcoin uh, or creators mm-hmm. uh, named uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, and of course. Uh, some different man with that same name in Arcadia was oh. beset upon right after the Mt. Gox uh, Stupidest debacle. Stupidest thing. Yeah, there was, this, there was this journalist from New England who thought she had the smoking gun. It's just really, really, really sloppy journalism mm-hmm. and wound up revealing this guy who's, you know, just... Retired greenskeeper or something in Arcadia, yeah, like, like five yeah. blocks away from Jin Tai Fung. You know, it's just like this guy, just some dude. And he had yeah. no idea what they were talking about. And she accused him of playing dumb. And he clearly did not know what was what was happening. And yeah. it was kind of a, a ridiculous scenario. Yeah. But I think this lady was a nightmare. But there's a lot of that connected to reports of like mainstream reports of fiascos within cryptocurrency or any kind of um, a family like that is that because people don't get it, but because it's hot and it needs to be covered, they get covered by people that don't know what they're talking about, yeah. who have other people go and investigate shoddily, and it becomes this kind of um, quagmire of, of bad information. I won't say misinformation because I don't think it's even that that's the- It's not deliberate. Yeah, it's it's not intentional. It's just that people don't know, and in a culture where people are proud to be ignorant, um, you know, th- this um, mistakes are not really caught too quickly. And there's more of a defense of why somebody did something than just laying out, "Hey, look, you know, you were wrong." And do you think? What do you think holds up the um, proliferation of of cryptocurrencies from becoming more widely used? And you know, the type of thing that you Nothing. We'd see at Home Depot. Nothing. But it hasn't happened so far. So what? Why do you think that is? Well, it's it's just a matter of time. I mean, it's the. It, I think that it is the future of how transactions, in certain cases, are going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, you know, if you have a person who's traveling around the world, whose you know job has them going, you know, to Bali one day, to you know next week they're in Russia. The My old week, job. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, wherever they are. I mean, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of software developers um, have to travel everywhere. And, yeah, if you get paid in Bitcoin for your job, um, you're able to go across borders uh, because your your money, your wallet is essentially in the ether. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not traveling around with a suitcase full of, you know, full of doubloons. Right. Or whatever, you know, or balloons, depending on. What kind of the clown economy, economy. The, clown the clown economy, economy, as opposed to the Spanish galleon economy. That's right. Um, well, let me ask you this. So, um, as you saw with the um, with the two thousand ethers thing, and you you'd invested, you were part of the kickstart. 
when well, that happened. It wasn't, right? a, it wasn't a Kickstarter thing, but it was a it was a crowd it was a, a crowd funder. Sorry, sorry. And stupidly, I didn't actually. Um, or maybe more intelligently because you got in at sixty nine cents, and I think that it would have been yeah. more expensive if you had gotten in on the um, on the crowd fund. Uh, let's see, let's see, two thousand divided by divided into four hundred and sixty nine. No, it's not. I mean, it. Uh, not so dramatic a difference. No, it's not a. It's not that dramatic of a difference. Unless you um, had bought a million. But but you know I mean I can't say oh I knew it. Even though I felt like, oh, you know, I like, I was thinking like, okay, this thing has this thing has a lot of people who are throwing their attention into it. It has certain features that mm-hmm. people are kind of looking at and having wet dreams over, mm-hmm. like like the thing that makes Ethereum electric really... dreams. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> together in electric dreams. Yep, yellow just, just played about... the other night. I know we're just talking about yellow. Oh, man. It's uh, Giorgio Moroder. Right? Yeah, 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 did all the music right. for that, yeah. and one of the dudes from Twin Peaks, uh, early film for him. Oh my goodness! So, so uh, well, okay. So here's here's one of the features of Ethereum that makes it very unique. Mm-hmm. Um, you're able to store uh, functional programs on the Ethereum blockchain, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that, like, let's say you were to create a program. Um, or some type of algorithm that could be referred to um, at a certain point. Uh, that's you know the kind of thing that's on there. Like, so for example, like let's say, let's say we're talking about uh, the future of music, like when labels are obsolete, or we're talking about the future of film when studios are obsolete, uh, publishing companies like. Like all these kind of like third parties, everything becomes direct to direct. Right, and that's you know, and that's eventually going to happen in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the um, the thing that Ethereum allows you to do, like in this case, is it uh, allows you to assign a um, assign a uh, I guess a series of points, uh, such that like everybody's able to get paid at a certain like at a certain point when the money comes in. So like let's say let's say there's a, a download from iTunes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that money that comes in can be dispersed across the entire like spread that you program into it. And you can assign a spread for each person in the band and five investors are a right, thousand and, investors. And the publisher yeah. and the, yeah. uh, sorry and uh, like the writers who whoever needs to get paid can get paid. Right. And you don't you don't need this, you know, you don't need things like ASCAP. Right. So you anymore. set a threshold within the program, and then you hit an order of how people get paid, or everybody gets paid at once. However, however you, you want to do it. it. However you want to program it. Yeah. That sounds a like a like the the best solution for for QuickBooks. Well, that's um, why that's why uh, a lot of a lot of banks are now uh, using blockchain technologies and creating their own private. Uh, blockchains and cryptocurrencies, like for in-house uh, verification. So one of the things that's happening is that um, the uh, the clearinghouses that usually clear a payment, well, why it takes three days to clear a payment in a bank. It's a central private reserve system. It's like a an amazing mimic of 
of the reserve system. No, if it's you, not you a mimic create... because it's not a mimic because actually, actually, uh, you can um, you can have things verified without shenanigans and funny business. Right. Well, yeah. It, it's you. You take out the you take the banker out of the equation. Yes. But you have stations like what were there twelve reserve banks at a certain point, mm-hmm. and so instead of it being for everyone, you're talking about them setting up internal cryptocurrencies for a single system. Right, well, just for verification of, of payments. So for example, let's say that somebody brings in, uh, somebody, you know, somebody brings in a, a check, mm-hmm. right, and puts a check into their account. Um, instead of taking three days for it to be verified, it can be verified within minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're using a system like that, seconds, like I guess. Yeah, it just a it's it's a very very quick process. So, um, yeah, and uh, it's also very useful in voting. Like, you know, for for example, a lot of um, a lot of people after the shenanigans that happened, you know, surrounding uh, Florida and Ohio and. And uh, oh, Nevada just, recently, or just during the uh, the Democratic primaries, yeah, when um, you know when uh, you know votes were there was a lot of like shenanigans with recording of of votes, mm-hmm. and uh, you know uh, it would have been easier to tell whether Bernie Sanders was doing well or not, like, and you wouldn't have had to deal with you know the mainstream media colluding with the DNC to you know say a whole bunch of nonsense so you could, oh. have, actually, you could have actually verified it um if there was a you know, blockchain based voting system blockchain based voting system this is this is getting much more interesting oh yeah this is really cool and and uh at some point um at some point there probably will be a move to try to make blockchains and and this technology illegal because it actually works. Mm-hmm. And um, it's going to be a lot harder for people who are pulling shenanigans to continue pulling them. Um, so is there the anything- is already out of the bottle. Is there any other um, like newer cryptocurrencies that you think are trading really, really low that, um, that seem like they have value that's going to be assessed relatively quickly or that you think is yeah. taking um, a step in in the next direction pretty soon? Yeah, I think Ethereum is going to continue rising. Uh, there's another cryptocurrency called Dash that's oriented around Dash. privacy. Yeah. There's one called Monero. Um, usually the coins that are oriented around privacy and security, those are the yeah, usually the ones that are oriented around privacy and security, because yes. it sounded like <laughs> one or the other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, um, what are some others? I mean, I, th- I think that any cryptocurrencies that are going to come about that allow you to create decentralized contracts, like things like what I was talking about before, mm-hmm. um, those are usually referred to as DAOs, uh, D-A-O or uh, decentralized autonomous organization, uh, like the way they're, they're referred to. Um, mm-hmm. And there was a, there was actually recently a hack of a uh, a crowdfunding a crowdfunding uh, organization, so to say, um, called the DAO, mm-hmm. um, where fifty million ether were stolen from them after they did this hundred fifty million dollar crowdfund. 
um, because there was a bug in the programming language, which is called Solidity. Uh, somebody made a recursive request that allowed them to withdraw $50 million worth of they Ether. use that programmable nature of the currency itself yeah, they, they to just, hack the program to hit a certain point and then embezzle money out. Right, because it was too, it, it was just a nascent, it's a nascent language. Yeah. Um, at some point there will be safeguards, but it's been amazing to just look at some of the innovation and the discussions that come out of uh, everything that happened from that transaction was just, mm. it was like, because there, um, uh, there were certain safeguards in the currency that I guess, uh, basically, um, 20, uh, they had 27 days once the hack happened in order to decide what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, would they, would the people at Ethereum, uh, do what's called forking the blockchain? Would they... Um, would they remove the transaction of the fifty million, the fifty million uh, ether withdrawal? Uh, would they remove that from the blockchain, or would they, can you know, or would they just you know call it a loss? Well, they they and chose not to fork it, right? No, they did. They did. They did fork it, and that created a whole backlash. And so now now there are two currencies that are Ethereum. There's Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. Ethereum Classic <laughs> is the one that hasn't been, uh, that, ha that, that uh, yeah, that, um, yeah, that ba basically, um, it's still the original blockchain that hasn't been doctored. Interesting. And, but the thing is, Ethereum itself already has this branding, it's like amazing branding to it. And, so uh, the, there are a group of people involved with Ethereum Classic who are suing uh, Ethereum, the Ethereum Foundation, because they feel like they've they're sort of stockholders in this at a certain point. Well, they're I, well, I guess they they are they're stakeholders and and stockholders. Like it's not really like stocks. not like stock. You That's a bad really, example. Yeah, yeah, you can't really think of it. They're like chairman of like the board. That. Yeah, it's like saying it's like. A, it's like saying vegan pastrami. It's right, not, right. Not pastrami. Doesn't please anybody who likes pastrami and the vegans don't care because they don't know. Well, I, I actually like vegan pastrami. <laughs> and you chose the bad example. I, no. It's like plastic chocolate. Uh, well, you know. it. No more analogies. Yeah. Hashtag no more analogies. But okay. the, um, so, so Dash um, is a security... And privacy-based um, cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency. Yeah. and what's Dash trading at? Twelve-ish. Uh, Twelve-ish. Right so now. all of these are relatively already up there. Have you seen anything well, like what Ethereum was like at sixty-nine cents? That is, that seems like it's viable, or or is something crashing that low at this point in time the sign that it's probably not going to bounce back? I think Ethereum Classic is going to go up again, a little bit. Um, there's a coin called IO coin that I've been watching for a while and I have no idea why I'm watching it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's been going between 25 and 35 cents for the past couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't rationally say what caught my attention. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it, 
definitely has caught my attention. Um, and there's one called Emmercoin that is uh, another one called Onyx. Uh, like, yeah, just like I look at these, you know, I look at the spread multiple times mm-hmm. every single day on Baxter List. Mm-hmm. And uh, Baxter you know, List funded by the Fantastic Four. Yes. Not at all. But the, um, so these these exchanges, which are now becoming, I, I'm sure at this point, like Baxter List is is in the Wall Street Journal. You know that if you're looking at your Nasdaqs and you're looking at, you know, um, other no, stock not. markets, it's not. It's so it hasn't even it's hit not. the standard financial, um, no coverage. No. Everybody, if you take nothing out of this podcast. Get on the Baxter list because this is why cryptocurrency should be of of utmost importance to anybody who's interested in anything that we talk about here. Two things. Um, First of all, that um, you get to decide by where you're putting your money in a cryptocurrency with the philosophy behind it. Uh, This has never happened in, in modern finance that you can choose the actual method of value that the tradable portion of the value of something can be so inherently and perfectly connected to the philosophy behind its own existence so when we talk about things like ethereum and and the ability to encode um through the chain through the um the blockchain um which is itself a kind of skeleton of an economic system and in, in, in meaning it's more than the backbone that it provides you with all yeah. the functionality that you need for an economic system that by using different aspects and different uh, capabilities of what can be used in the blockchain for that specific currency, you are saying, you know what, if someone sets up an art-based cryptocurrency, you can say, okay, well, what's your market? And by looking at the, um, the blockchain and by looking at the idea positioned as the um, the core value of the currency, you know it's right there. It's it's just the most obvious thing. It's not as esoteric as I believe in this country. I don't think anybody who who trades currency says I'm going to buy a lot of RMB because I love China, or I'm going to buy a lot of euros because I'm I love you know Croatia, France, and and Germany. Or I'm gonna buy a lot of um, a lot of pesos because I love Mexico. It's they're looking at value systems and they're looking at um, predicting the value of something to go up based on what you know about a national economy. And what if you follow finance and you look at how currencies can be manipulated, it's based on the amount of information a government is willing to give up. And when systems collapse, as they did in 2008 with the housing market, it's because there were a handful of guys that saw that the system was completely out of control. And they reported and reported and reported to the U.S. government about this. And they kept giving the the um, the Standards & Poor and other um, government-funded agencies that give ratings to, um, to stock portfolios and financial organizations – kept giving a pass in spite of all the information they were being given by a handful of people that saw through the holes in the systems. It makes you wonder if 
there were a handful of people who were just waiting for it to crash so that they could make a fortune well, on, certainly. Shorting, on shorting it because they, they could see the writing on the wall. And, and, and we know that people yeah. did. We know that people were betting against the system, and now that one of the, the major people who bet against that system is now buying up water rights. Yeah. Um, and we talked about this offline just the other day. We did. About, um, you know, and... yeah. Say, say, the, um, say that again. Okay, so uh, so in the future, water is going to be mo- one of the most valuable commodities. I mean, it is currently anyway. It's it takes and, it's not a leap of of even uh, everybody should know this right now that yeah. bottled water costs more than gasoline already. Yeah, this is well, sort of yeah. Brand name water, we'll say. <laughs> well, um, like really, cl- you know, good, clean, you know, potable, potable water is you know is kind of. It, it's it's expensive, but um, uh, it's also what's inside of the water that's very valuable. You know, like uh, you can split water and get hydrogen and mm-hmm. oxygen from it. Um, and, uh, you know, water is the thing that can turn turbines. It, uh, you know, it's a very, it, it is the universal solvent. It's the thing that everyone is a addicted to yeah we inherently you need it it's a great line in the recent mad max film do not become too addict too reliant upon water as it will become addicting um the um what we're going to fast forward through here in this 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 replay of this conversation that we had is you you were talking about being close to living completely off the grid and i said well except that you can't really ever live completely off the grid because i argued that you needed um water systems, which you have to get permission to use from your local governments, or you needed, um, you know, electrical lines and stuff, and that we really weren't at the point quite yet, in spite of all these things you read about Elon Musk and his house battery, of that being absolutely usable. And you said, whoa, 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 we're close. That the water thing is a little bit different than you think. And I said, but I live in California. And you said, but there's water everywhere. There's moisture everywhere. Yeah, moisture. Yeah, you could use moisture condensers. I mean, solar-powered moisture condensers. Mm-hmm. If, um, like, let's say you, you want to collect water, you're close to the ocean, you're going to have mist, you know, mist. It's not going to be a ton, uh, but if but um, if anyone's used an air conditioner, they, you know, can see that water condenses mm-hmm. on the on the coils. Uh, that of course would be poisoned with freon, but well, no, well you can. So, so there's a, a a piece of electronic componentry called um, a Peltier unit, and depending on the amount of electricity that goes into it, it can uh, produce heat. Um, produce co- it's it's used for heating and cooling, mm-hmm. uh, and if you have something that is uh, cool enough, you can condense uh, water, and if you're very clever about the way to capture uh the moisture in the air i mean you can you know, you use it do... for anything you want yeah and and i think that that's going to be very significant i mean we even saw in star wars the original star wars yeah. you know luke had to go out and collect water from the you know from the the water condensers that yeah are, you know out in the desert but um that you know that isn't science fiction it is you know it is a reality and uh, at some point in time, considering climate change, uh, considering what's going on with the economy, we're probably going to wind up seeing tons of water collection units like that. Um, is there a cryptocurrency that is based on water economics? No, but that's really interesting. And, and you know, um, rule number 34 of the Internet is uh, if 
there is something that exists, there is porn of it. If yeah. And rule number 35 is if that porn does not exist, it is therefore your obligation to, to create make it. that. Yeah. So now yeah. you have to create I have to create the, the water, water cryptocurrency. Water Cryptocurrency. Well, right? I know who I have to call. I saw the movie last year. Ghostbusters. <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, I think that's probably a good place to to almost leave off because I'm going to double okay. back to a couple of things. And okay. you know, the point that we were making before we started talking about you know the water uh, condensers is that why it is important for everybody to get an interest in in cryptocurrency is that. World, world economies are built around countries or groups of countries. And these countries can fail militarily. They can make decisions that bankrupt the, um, the idea that powers the economy. As we said, every currency is built on absolutely nothing. It's an idea. Um, money is worth something because we think it is worth something, not because it is actually valuable. Gold is, has uses. It's based on consensus. Yeah, it's consensus a consensus that public, people yeah. agree. Um, one thing that's wonderful about cryptocurrencies is that when you join into by by your purchase, by your investment into a cryptocurrency, you are part of a group of believers in that currency inherently. Yeah, and but it that doesn't make it better. It doesn't, it doesn't make, make it better it or worse. Better or worse. It's just another. It's just another layer of complexity in your life and one that is not encumbered by local governing laws one that is not encumbered by um your government's military budget depending on your perspective Mm. depending on your perspective because uh i mean currently it's not it's not although the collapse of economies are good for cryptocurrencies it's not very enforceable but there are definitely a lot of laws like Mm -hmm. uh you know, financial compliance laws uh, that are out there. Um, and you Especially know, the, after the explosion of, of the Bitcoin market, that people that were setting up Bitcoin markets in the U.S. were seen as as being unlicensed financial, unlicensed banks, essentially, and then yeah. had to provide paperwork, which brought them under government. Um, right. But the, but the thing is, like, as you have more and more complex responses auditing, to these, you know, to these systems... Um, you know, you're going to have uh, both the proponents and the opposition innovating to figure out ways of doing what it is that they, you know, that they're best at doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, governments, and in the case of governments, you know, op- oppressing. And mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> in the case of individuals, like trying to, you know, uh, uh, push forward with their freedoms. Um, I think we all want to do so, the best that we can, and then we find out something and that we disagree with, and we have to weigh up in the morality of how we live our lives with the consequences of our spending power. And I think yeah. that um, a lot of people, especially, and I'm not going to vilify Americans. I'm American, and I, I do travel the world a lot, and I see the, the You're way a that villain, people, though. I see there are guns on your shirt. Uh, there are you guns on my shirt. Villain. I must be. Um, well, this is my-, my Michael Moore I'm gonna be, would have a field day with you. <laughs> Michael Moore. I could tell you about Michael Moore. But um why does he have guns? Does he I'll have a be, gun t shirt? Well, I mean, you know, it's like I, I he's a guy that you wanna be you want him to be right, but he's so often wrong. And he uses the same well, types I thought he of was methods. On the left. He, he he is on the left, but you want him to be correct. And uh, yeah. you know, sometimes <laughs> he uses the same types of of um cheats that 
you really wish he didn't, and he sort of doesn't need to, but he still does. There's a scene in Bowling for Columbine where yeah. he's supposedly yelling at Charlton Heston. That was shot without Charlton Heston. It's it's an over-the-shoulder shot, and there's a voiceover of him like chastising him as this old man is just walking this guy to a gate and then walks back to his house. And people that were on the set can tell you that's what happened. But they waited, and they staged a shot where it made it look like Michael Moore was chastising him. If you go back to Roger and me, he set up a news conference that didn't exist. They talked. He created a crime that didn't exist about like a, a car getting stolen. It, it, he he's done these things that right, I think work this, against yeah. the 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 fact of it, well, being a documentarian. It's like you if you if you're manufacturing the news, then you're not making a documentary. Right when right when like when uh, that CN, drives me crazy. Like when CNN. Uh, had this, you know, their broadcast from the Middle East during the first Gulf War, mm-hmm. and actually it was shot in some studio in Georgia, and they just kind of put a couple pine, uh, <laughs> a couple of palm trees that were in the studio in the background, and the green screen. We're almost getting to some, some yes fans. men territory here, which is fabulous. Yeah, people who who don't know, and um, and and Scott books the yes men for um for speaking engagements, um, geniuses of um what you might call um. Culture jamming. Culture jamming. And the, you know. Identity correction. Just fabulous stuff. Like putting people who need to be on notice on notice, um, whether it's pretending to be somebody from the World Bank or someone from, um, you know, Exxon or whatever. Here's what they do. The magic of what they do is that they uh, represent or they, they'll pose as representatives of institutions, be it government, uh, corporations. And then they'll admit to wrongdoings in public and create public relations disasters yeah. for these companies. Because in they one have case, to they have a stock it. dropping to the tune of like $4 billion or something Roughly, crazy. Yeah, yeah, Dow. Yeah, Dow. It was uh, during the 20th anniversary of the disaster in Bhopal, uh, India. Uh, like it was uh, like twenty thousand people died at once, mm-hmm. and then over time, over you know hundred thousand people or so have have died as a result of this like chemical explosion. And on the twentieth anniversary, the BBC were hunting around to get a quote from uh, the Dow Chemical Company, and they came upon a website that looks like sp- Dow. <laughs> exactly, it was a spoof <laughs> called DowEthics.com, and it was a new program that. Uh, Dower or it was a spoof program that Dower uh, allegedly launching was created by the the spoof was created by the Yes Men, and they um, uh, you know they claimed that they were taking a new environmental stance, and so the BBC thought that this was very very interesting. They were going to make restitution. They were going to yeah. pay all this money over it's years. Five point seven billion dollar cleanup plan, and the. Um, and so uh, Andy Bicklebaum from the Yes Men wound up going on BBC's uh, largest news broadcast, and uh, within an hour, uh, you know, of um, you know, of him making this, this announcement, announcement it, their the stock, the stock dropped, yeah, plummeted. Well, three three and a half billion dollars in trading, but just within yeah. an hour. But then it recovered. Yeah. But um, but it was a very interesting way of seeing that actually the the. Doing good would be detrimental. Be punished. Yeah, yeah. they're punished. But I do think that things are kind of changing. I do think. I do think so. And and I think that we're we're starting to see, uh, we're starting to see the alternate economies. They're 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 going to become bigger and bigger and bigger, and they're going to just kind of obsolete the old sketchy way of doing things that the kind of you know the baby boomer generation. Are kind but of if if you up. if you look at the 
like a map of all economy. So not just um, above the board stuff, but if you look at illegal business, then um, you're seeing that I think petroleum and energy is still absolutely number one. And I think that um, water is yeah, either number two subsidy. or three, but number three is narcotics. Yeah. And um, so that's a hidden economy. And um, well, they have no idea how much is really generated. They're just making these assumptions. Right. And, and we, we don't really know. Right. We don't know any of this stuff. I mean, we don't know how much gold is in the world. Right. You know, like the, the numbers that govern the value of gold are built really only around what we know is in Europe and we know is in America before World War One. And that doesn't include any of the gold that was in Asia, any of the gold that was in South America, you know, any of the gold that, um, you know, that was, you know, rounded up and, and carted off by the Japanese and buried in the Philippines and Indonesia and places like that. And, you know, the ton, the amount of gold that was being shipped out of Europe by the Germans in just what we caught um, would affect the global market price of gold today. If, if it was added into these other numbers, you'd realize that it's not that rare a resource. There's also been um, speculation that there's a ton of petroleum that um, that we're, we're not reaching the, the end of, of petroleum and that it's renewable and, and things like that, that there, that's possible. That, that I don't think, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't necessarily agree with it either. Yeah, because... If that were the case, if there were the case, I don't think that there would be as much investment in extracting uh, the oil from the tar sands in the way that it's being fracking. Done. Well, it's it's way yeah. less expensive, and um, it was at the point where it became a new thing. It was seen as being less of environmentally impactful. So you would be rewarded for switching from drilling into fracking. When now we know that fracking is probably as bad or, or worse than actually drilling, that what it does to upset water tables and things like that is, is actually worse than if you just drilled holes all over the place. But um, at the time when this became a thing, it was seen as an alternative to coal yeah. and an alternative to um, petroleum uh, drilling. And so I think that's why that took off. But um, regardless of whether it is is a resource that, that um, again, it, it has value because we say it, have, it has value. You know, why is it that that oil prices fluctuate so ridiculously and it's to control other markets not because right they're all interdependent on yeah. one another and the people who are at the top of the food chain basically uh you know want to keep the status quo yeah. and they want to maintain their you know their power and governments that you know collude with that system want to make, make they want to make sure that things remain stable Mm -hmm. uh, up until the point where they don't want it to be stable anymore, mm -hmm. because every once in a while, like a destabilization is is like a good thing. Destabilization you know, of Afghanistan was great business for the United States in the late seventies and early eighties, and then throughout the eighties. And then when the tables turned, and we were the people funding the um, the battle and not the Soviet Union, um, it became disastrous for us in the late two thousands and up well, until about now. I mean, for, yeah. well, I mean, it. you know, it, depending on your perspective, I mean, I, uh, one might say that the destabilization of Afghanistan is, uh, it's a, it's a good way for companies to whittle their way in and get mineral, mineral rights because, right. you know, it's basically a giant, you know, it's a giant, uh, mine. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, a potential place to, you know, to bring pipelines from one one place to another, and you know that's one of the reasons why it didn't Russia hurt Halliburton. We'll say, 
No, like you no, know, like companies that are building infrastructure, it doesn't it doesn't hurt. You know, and not to get that- and not to get too conspiratorial here either, but it, it's like that. Um, in a way, as we're seeing that corporations are having the powers of countries, um, so now are economic systems that are not country connected, that are independent. And so, the way to level the playing field, so to speak. For um, you know the the layperson, for you or I, uh, those of us who don't um, you know uh, go to Bilderberg meetings on a, on a regular basis or aren't um, the what, heads you of don't? not on a regular basis. Oh, okay. I haven't been invited in years. It's an incident, briefcase and urine. But um, <laughs> that's why I won't be invited to the inauguration either. But um, the um, I digress. Your urine collection. <laughs> the for for moisture, of course. But the um, you know the the way that it becomes a more of a level playing field is that if you are able to create and maintain an economy among like minded people, it gives you power to people who are outside of your economy, and that's really what economic systems are. Yeah. Economic systems are collections of people who um, use the same. Um, unit of value to get and access goods from other people who use a different but same in that group uh, unit of value to get what they need and how one gets leverage over the other that is economics economics say that if some if somebody wins somebody loses that something has to go up for something to go down and that is that is true in any system that accrues value but um if you get to choose what the underlying theme of your currency is, then you at least have somewhat of a moral high ground and you get to know that by use of this currency, you are not inadvertently contributing to policies um, that are controlled by um, military um, regimes or political regimes. That it is, in this case, money's just money. Um, What people also don't understand uh, generally about money is that um, by supporting a currency and by using a currency, you are interconnected without um, an ability to not be to the policies of the government that issues that currency and the um, the, the policies of whoever owns the bond on that currency. Um, when we talk about things like the Federal Reserve, um, people will probably uh, know at this point uh, to a certain degree that... Um, the Federal Reserve is not federal in that it is not a government um, agency. It is a private agency that issues a bond of value for loaning money to the United States government so that every piece of currency in the United States is debt. It is not value. It's the opposite of value. But the stability of that currency to other nations and to people who live in the U.S. give gives value in its buying power against other goods and services. That may sound like a lot. If you kind of think about it and dissect it, it's really pretty basic. And it means that you you can never confuse the actual product for the stock value of that product. There are amazing products whose stock is worth very little. And there are amazing stocks based on products that are absolute crap. And um, sometimes with yeah, it's, smart it's investors, it's like religion. It's just it's entirely based on the, faith. The I mean, sizzle can, and the steak. The sizzle and the steak. Right. Like it's like you know, I mean, there are plenty of people that believe in a bunch of nonsense, mm-hmm. you know, and they have a lot of faith in it, mm-hmm. and they know it's absolutely correct, mm-hmm. you know. And they'll all die happier than we will. 
Well, <laughs> you know, unless there's, um, you know, self-hatred and flagellation involved in it. Some people are into that. And yeah. I think I think that's actually where we'll probably leave it because I think that it's, it's given people enough um, – Enough stuff to go out and research because this was a really rich food. This I hope is like all research. Yeah, get to the Baxter list, check that stuff out. Yeah. Look into things like Ethereum. Look into things like Monero and Dash. Um, you can start looking into you know the split between Ethereum and Classic Ethereum Classic. But um, look into Bitcoin and start studying the history of that. Um, the way that the best way to understand how a cryptocurrency works is to actually buy it and use it. And it's really it's easy true. to do. It's really really super easy to do. It's you just it like. On a- on a web, there's a website called Coinbase. Mm-hmm. You can buy uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum using uh, your bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another website uh, where you can transfer your cryptocurrencies from you know, from one into another. Like you could change Bitcoin into Dash or mm-hmm. Ethereum or whatever on a website called Shapeshift. Mm-hmm. Uh, io. Um, uh, you can use the classic exchanges and get a better rate. Um, you can even go to this website, We Sell Doges, where you can buy Dogecoin. I spell that? Uh, we, W-E, mm-hmm. sell, S-E-L-L, Doges, D-O-G-E-S. Dot, D-O-G-E-S. Dot com. Yeah, we sell Doges.com. You can buy Dogecoin for, you know, five, like a five cents per thousand over the going rate. So it's not that... It's not that much, you know, like uh, like if you're buying a million Dogecoin. I don't know. Dogecoin is something I wish we dug, dug into a little bit um, during this talk. Uh, if you want to kind of put it back. In Quick the, recap. Well, give, recap. Me, give me the uh, a bullet sentence okay. about Doges. Okay. So Dogecoin, Dogecoin was a cryptocurrency created by this guy named Jackson Palmer as a joke cryptocurrency. And he thought, okay, we're going to create a cryptocurrency where we're going to have 100 million, sorry, we're, oh, sorry, we're going to create a cryptocurrency and we're going to have 100 billion of this cryptocurrency produced and it will be mined all within the process of one year. Mm-hmm. And that wound up becoming really interesting because, you know, it's finite. Like, well, it's finite. It's also, um, it's also that you have one followed by a whole bunch of zeros. So it's really easy to kind of tell like how much something might be worth against some other currency. Um, You know, so there's like an analog to the, you know, to the dollar. Um, But it wound up becoming a fantastic teaching tool and that people could own a lot of Doge uh, but not have to make a major investment. So they got a lot of practice, you know, sending and receiving on their wallet, doing a lot of like, you know, a lot of different uh, types of, abstraction in terms of like sending and receiving like uh this guy Jahan Trembach a, f- a friend of mine he created the Dogecoin uh, tip bot um and some way of uh some way of using OAuth in order to tip uh you know tip currencies just in message like in message boards like if you wanted to tip somebody in a, on Reddit or on YouTube or on Facebook dangerous tipping people on Reddit but yeah, yeah the uh, but just like hey I love your yeah. comment here's a doge yeah. because it's worth nothing and Reddit is actually a fantastic place to look for info on cryptocurrencies like mm-hmm. you know just uh any of the subreddits on dogecoin bitcoin didn't mean um, to pick on reddit i was actually really thinking gawker i apologize uh really you're confusing reddit with gawker i know somebody's, same thing right? i have a friend who's no. into both like equally and it, it's never mind right i wonder if it, are the message boards still going on gawker i don't i'm People well the lawsuit is is the lawsuit done 
I think so, but I think that the website's still up. Huh. I think they're just not able to publish anymore. I wonder if I wonder if there's an archive of all Gawker everything, and somebody's going to study the archive. Well, there's the Wayback Machine, so yes. Yes. One. Whoa. Just think about that. What Just a type great in a different resource. minute on the Wayback Machine. I know. And seriously. then you've got everything yeah, forever, all the way back. And we could just keep talking and talking and talking and talking. And so we won't. Okay. And so I'm going to thank my guest. I'm going to thank Scott for being on. And um, you. again, you can um, get a hold of him and book the talent that he represents at Evil Twin Booking, you know, Pussy Riot, uh, Glenn Greenwald, yeah. uh, the Yes Men. Um, get a hold of him at uh, Groucho Fractal. And um, I want to thank you for breaking this down a little bit. And thank um, you. and it's cryptocurrency is one of those things that it gets extremely complicated bef- um, to explain. It's it's like baseball. It's like until you watch a game played. If I were to describe how baseball is played, it would sound really really difficult. But once you sit and watch it, you know it's like why does he go to second base? He has to. Well, I, I could know. describe baseball very easily. Okay, imagine a bunch of people that really, 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 really get off on watching paint dry. That's golf. That's golf. No, no, that is baseball. No, I love baseball. And occasionally there might be a drip. Somebody just might have been sloppy with the way that they brushed it. So not true. You're right. You're right. There's so much that happens during baseball. It's, it's It's totally not for people who really like being frustrated. I, I am from Boston, so I can't combat that. People love being frustrated in Boston. Yankees suck. You should you should have a Chris Dunkin' Renna. Donuts rules and the Yankees suck. Get Chris Ren on your show. He's the guy who made those those uh, Boston uh, sorry those uh, Yankees suck T shirts that we're selling all around Boston. And Chris uh, Renna. Chris Ren. No, Chris, Chris, yeah, oh. he he runs Bridge Nine Records. Oh, okay. Yeah, back when I used to run, I used to run a punk rock label. I like. Like he, when he was uh, really young, he asked, "Hey, how do I start a label?" I feel like I know that dude. I may already he's, know him. He's awesome. He's from the scene. Interesting. Punk well, like like I said. Um, oh, and before I forget, and maybe we'll in, maybe we'll switch this up and we'll edit it into the the, the episode fine. earlier. Um, of course, we have a contest, and um, if you go to iTunes and you subscribe to Pod Sequentialism with Matt Kennedy, and you take a screen grab of that and you post it on my wall on Facebook at um, the Pod Sequentialism page, you can win two free tickets to see At Home with Monsters, the Guillermo del Toro exhibition at LACMA. No, you won't, because I already won. I'm sorry. You get nothing. I won. You I won nothing. already. You, no, you're, sorry. you're like a, a cryptocurrency billionaire. You should be. You should be buying. I know. I have, I have all tickets. the tickets. I have all the tickets. I bought all, all the, the tickets. tickets. Hashtag all the tickets. That's right. And I'm gonna have a theater. I'm just gonna watch. And but <laughs> but don't do that because iTunes doesn't have it. We have all the tickets. Every one of them. And for the next all your five base years, belong to us. Yes, all your tickets are belong to us. But anyways, actually, I'm just kidding. Like, the, please um, go on, go on iTunes and and take a screen grab of you subscribing grab. to the Pod Sequentialism podcast. Get all grabby. And um, and if you've listened to this, you have questions about cryptocurrency. You can post those questions also on the Facebook at uh, Pod Sequentialism, and um, I will forward questions on to Scott. And I'm going to do that with other guests as well. So if you have any questions about any of the things that we've talked about, this is almost 50 episodes in actually. 50 episodes? Yeah. Whoa, yeah. that's amazing. It is, it is. What, what are you going to do on your 100th episode? On my 100th episode, uh, just like Gigi Allen, I'm going to die on stage. But um, and since that didn't happen, I guess I don't have to do that either. Right, so, so at this point you'll just do like Gigi Allen and diarrhea on stage. Ah, uh, 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 at Rat Skellers. Uh, um, take my wife, please. Uh, so the... Um, 
again, I will say thank you. And um, I was going to say something else, though. I was going to I was going to hype something else. EvilTwinBooking.org. EvilTwinBooking.org. But there's also Fractal.org. Follow us on Instagram. You know, Pod Sequentialism on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Oh, and um, if you if you are an advertiser looking to reach this prime demographic, please also reach out to us. Uh, contact us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, send me an email to info at popsequentialism.com. And um, thank you for listening. Thanks so much for having me. Yep. Hello, this is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentialism. And um, what many, many of you may know that I, I do run a gallery in Los Angeles called La Luz de Jesus Gallery. And what you may not know is that it's inside Wacko, which is probably the greatest center of pop culture in the world. And it may sound like hyperbole, it's not. Um, you can, if you don't want to trust my judgment, you can listen to people like Kevin Smith, uh, James Gunn, uh, David Mack, um, all of whom will swear that uh, one of their favorite places on earth is uh, Wacko, the shop that houses La Luz de Jesus Gallery. Um, whether it's blind box toys or little tchotchkes or art books, it pretty much is the place that you can get all of your Christmas shopping done for every possible annoying person to buy for that you can imagine. They've got everything, and I highly recommend that you visit them. You can visit them online at soapplant.com. You can visit the gallery at laluzdejesus.com, and that's spelled L-A-L-U-Z-D-E-J-E-S-U-S.com. Check them out and tell them Matt Kennedy sent you.